Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Three guys would have gone down over that. That's just <laughs> how it worked. I told you, Tony, that Stan Williams, the old pitcher who pitched in the 60s, used to carry around a list in his cap. And I asked him once, what's that list you have in your cap? And he said, those are the guys I got to get. And I said, why do you keep it in your cap? And he said, so I don't forget anyone. And then he didn't get one guy that he needed to hit. And then he hit him in an old-timers game. This is how it used to work. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Tim gets so excited. It's so excited. Makes me very happy. That story always reminds me of a scene from Billy Madison. Oh. Glad I called that guy. <laughs> Just wonderful. All right. Uh, let me get to what everybody expects me to get to, which is um, our loss of our friend Wendy Rieger, which happened Friday night. Wendy had suffered from a very particular form of brain cancer, and it did won uh, on Friday night. And there were... Lots of shows locally in Washington, D.C. about Wendy, and I just assume that almost everybody who listens to this show regularly knows from our interviews of Wendy Rieger how much we loved her. Um, I am not going to attempt to eulogize Wendy Rieger. That would be absolutely foolish of me. Instead, what we're going to do later in the show is play clips of Wendy's appearances, which I think will give you a much greater sense of Wendy Rieger than I could ever do. So we'll get to that. I did want to read one email from um, Bill Isaacson. And as you know, people that pay attention to when I say these things, I remember nothing in my life. Nothing. Uh, people say, do you remember the time? No, I don't. I don't. Even things that appear to be very important, I just simply don't remember them. And I don't remember this. But Bill said that, he writes, Tony, you may have many more uh, memories of Wendy Rieger, but I hope one of them that you hang on to is the story you told in a 1997 column. I sit here today in 2022 with no recollection of this. N never. So I'm just going to read it for you because it's really good. Apparently, I wrote the following. Wendy Rieger, the blonde bombshell news vixen, was interviewing me about this new pill that will regrow hair on bald men. Wow, who wouldn't want that? There's just one teensy catch. It can make you impotent. Hmm. That doesn't, uh, doesn't that sort of defeat the whole purpose? Isn't it like curing a hangnail by lopping off your hand? Being the cagey guy I am, I asked Wendy if the impotence would go away when I stopped taking the pill, and she said yes, but the newly grown hair would go away as well. Well, I said, how long is that window of opportunity open? How long before my hair falls out? She smiled and said kindly, don't worry, not before closing time. That is great. <laughs> I hope I wrote that. I hope that's true. I really do. I, you know, really, I hope I wrote that. And it sounds like something Wendy would say. Yes. Um, but I, of course, have no recollection of that. And as I say, we will get to all of these things so you can hear Wendy herself and not us talking about her uh, later in the show. I got home yesterday. I played golf yesterday. I played very, very poorly, but I had such a wonderful time. I played with Michael and the socialite, and Gary, and we walked, and, and it was absolutely lovely. And then I got home sneaky cold, though, and windy. Sneaky cold, windy, and a stronger sun than I think either of us were expecting yeah, to have. Yeah, but a, a lovely day, especially at my age, to be able to walk was, was very, very nice. get to walk nice. with two of my uncles. Yeah, that's, that's what—you're one of those people. So let me just say this. 
One of the sports columnists I admired most was Tom Callahan, as everybody knows. I think Tom Callahan's a great writer. He wrote this fabulous memoir about a year ago called Gods at Play. And it's just, just wonderful. And Tom is a couple of years older than I am. But Tom always hung around with the older guys. Tom's friends on the sports writing circuit, particularly when he worked at the Cincinnati Inquirer, were guys 20 and 30 years older than him. And this would be like Jim Murray and Dan Foster. You're not going to know these names, Red Smith. But they were 20 and 30 years older than Callahan. Callahan was the youngest old guy. And Callahan, although he was dear, dear friends with Kindred, you know, who's more of his own age, Callahan's great introduction to sports writing came at the hands of the older people. This is sort of you in golf sometimes. So right now, we've, we've now spent, you know, we, we've played many rounds with, with Alan and, and Coach, but yesterday in particular, to hear the two of you talking about the impact of the three-point line uh, and the evolution that it's had in the sport and in sports overall, and then to have Alan who asks the right questions because he knows all the players, all the teams, all the dates. I'm just sitting there just in complete shock and awe. It is the single most important thing that's happened in sports in my lifetime in terms of changing the way a game is played, the three-point shot. And people who were under the age of 60 have no idea that there was no three-point shot. It came into the NBA and then everywhere else in basketball when the ABA, which invented the three-point shot, the American Basketball Association, merged with the NBA in 1976, and that was the great carryover from the ABA. And within, and it's a long time now, it's almost 50 years, it it took about 40 full years for this to happen, but it changed the utter orientation of offensive basketball. It changed it. And I, and it, I you, know this through Basketball highlights. used to go outside in. Now it goes inside out. It's just different. I know this through highlights, but to hear a coach tell you how it changes the way you, that you have to run an offense, the way you can set a defense at all, and to hear how he would, you know, how he would make changes to the line that still sort of uh, still allows for the drama of the shot, but takes away sort of the, the overuse of he the wants to, from the He wants to extend the foul line in your mind's eye where the foul line is 15 feet away from the basket. He wants to extend it left and right in a straight line and disallow any three-point shots from beneath that line, taking away the easiest three-point shot, the corner three, which he thinks, and I agree, has essentially ruined basketball. Right? That's what he was talking about. But what I'm getting to is that you were – I've always, I've always felt more comfortable with the parents. I don't yeah. know why. <laughs> You're comfortable with old people, and, and that, we think that's wonderful. All right, so I got home. I got home in time to see the basketball, which you'll hear from Wilbon in a little while, and, and Wilbon adores it and reveres it, and I don't, although I was very, very glad to see a lot of the Boston-Brooklyn game, which ended dramatically and, I think, wonderfully. But, you know, we'll get to that with Mike. Then I was able to go over for much of the last six or seven holes, much of the last six or seven holes to the Hilton Head tournament at Harbortown, a course that I have played in my life. You played it? I've never played it. It looks beautiful it's, it's on really TV, nice. and it's so different than most of the golf we watch. Yeah, and, and you... You need to play it because you're down there all the time. We'll get you to, you know what? We'll get Curry to get you to play. It's pretty far out on the island. Yeah, but. It's like 10, 15 minutes past the fresh market. 
Okay, but I think to play it, it would be worth it to just be adventuresome and go out there and find it in the wilds. Um, the wilds of sea pines. It's very, very flat uh, and has every once in a while very tiny grains. Very tiny grains. So when I was done watching, in fact, I got there, I think, for maybe Jordan Spieth's last hole on 18. Did he birdie 18? Big putt. He birdied a little 18. A little different than the putt on 18 the day before. Yeah, where he, where he two-putted where he two putted from two feet. Right? Two-putted from two feet. Uh, yeah, I mean, the big thing is he missed the, the tap-in. Yeah, he missed the tap-in putt. To the point where after he, he wins the tournament, his wife says, you know what, next time you want to tap something in, why don't you just give it five seconds? <laughs> right, right. So he ends up, he's minus 13. Um, and he's in the lead as I begin to watch. And everybody else, Varner and Cantlay and Shane Lowry, or either 11 or 12. I watch Lowry and Varner. Lowry misses some putts within 10 feet. Lowry's a great player. Varner never got to within 10 feet, and Canley made a two on number 17, reawakening the echoes of how great he putted at Caves Valley last year. The greatest performance anybody's ever seen putting, right? Fair to say? You know, yeah. when he beat DeChambeau in a 27-hole playoff, it seemed. They just went on and on and on and on. And now Canley has another putt on 18 to win. 12 feet? 15 feet? Yeah, around there. Within his range. Yeah. He can make this putt. Probably like a 20, 25% make. He hits it strong on the right. It goes past the hole. It doesn't touch the hole. So now you get a playoff with him and Spieth. And they start on 18. And as Spieth has not touched... The racket, as we say, in an hour and a half, right? Yeah. He hasn't touched it. He doesn't, you know, he goes out to putt a little bit. He doesn't even take swings. He goes out there. He hits a, a, a short drive. He hits a three-wood, I think, not a yeah, driver. I think so, because he's hits pretty it, far back. Hits it short. He's 160 out. Canley's eventually going to be 110. Speed's way back. I think you have the yardages off by about 30 to 40 yards. Okay, tell me what they were. I think Spieth was closer to like 180, 190. Oh, wow. Cantlay had about a nine iron in. I think he was closer to 150 with the wind. Okay. So Cantlay, I should say this, Cantlay is in the exact same position that he was in 10 minutes before on that same hole. The same position where he hit a shot to, as I say, 12 feet. And the pin is pretty deep. So he cleared. There's a trap in front. There's a, an oblong trap. Right? Yes. An yeah. oblong trap in front. Per- oblong the other way. Yeah. Perpen- Not the wide way, the narrow per- way. Perpendicular right. to the length of the group. Yeah. And, and that's before the hole. And the pin is pretty much in the back. And can't I'd say win- the pin's middle third, but yeah. Okay. Well, Spieth is way out. And Spieth, it's tournament. always wonderful to hear Spieth and his caddy go back and forth. It's like, it's, it's like a psychiatric session uh, for every <laughs> It's right? a reminder why Greller was a kindergarten teacher. Because he listens yes. to this guy. He listens, he indulges him. He says, okay, son, then do what you want to do. Spieth hits it, boom, into the trap. My immediate thought is, this is over. This is over. Because can't lay just had this shot. Right. It, it takes it takes Birdie likely out of the hands of Spieth. And considering Canley has the advantage off the tee, you'd say, like, he can st- you know, stuff it inside 15 feet. Right. So what happens? 
Cantley steps off his shot, and you can hear him being like, "I the wind came up. I don't want what happened to Jordan to happen to me." In fact, it happens even worse than what happened to Spieth. He hits that high iron. It comes up just short. The, the wind knocks it down, and we have one of the best phrases in golf, fried egg situation. Fried egg situation in which Nick Faldo says he's going to be lucky to get this within 20 feet. Says this on the air, lucky to get it within 20 feet. Nick Faldo may, know, may not know a lot about a lot of things, but he knows about golf. Yes, he does. Knows about golf. But they also say of Spieth, Spieth is so close to the lip, and the lip is high, they say of Spieth, he's going to have one foot on the grass and one foot in the sand, and that makes this a more difficult shot for Jordan Spieth, who has to be one of the top 10 sand players. Yeah, I would say just his short game overall is one of the best on tour, and when you have those difficult lies, it opens up a creativity where he's just reacting to the lie to the moment. Again, we saw one of the most famous shots out of a bunker in a playoff, June 25th, 2017, the day after Little Walkman was born. Right, that's right. So Spieth gets up, and he hits it to three inches. He hits it to it three looks inches. Like it's going in. It, it, it absolutely looks like it's going in. He hits it to three inches. And then he, he looks into the bunker, and he says to Cantley, you, you mind if I cut out? Tap the sit. <laughs> and this one, nobody can miss. It's three inches. Nobody misses. Cantley hits it to 20. Doesn't make the putt, and Jordan Spieth wins his first tournament in a while. About a, a year. In a, in, a, in a way that you, you're just not going to win. You're just not going to be in the 12th group from the end and even post a score and win because you're playing against because Cantlay and Lowry, not so much Varner who hasn't won, but Cantlay and Lowry have won. Yeah, it's the importance of, of posting a number to see if they can get that, but it's the way that he ended on Saturday where he looks so deflated and those short misses have always been part of his career, which is one reason why he went to that putting uh, that putting style. Uh but it was, it was really cool to see. Everyone has been criticizing his pre-shot routine, the sort of the the positions that he's trying to get into, which do look a little bit uncomfortable. And, and maybe you just see him when he gets freed up. That's how he plays his best golf. So it was that was nice to see that. Um, and then I had the option of going back to the basketball because it's four different games, which I did for a little while. And then I said, you know what? I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. I'm not Mike, so I'm done. I've been I've watched enough sports for the day, and that was it. Um, and played too, so I had a lovely, lovely weekend. I will say that without mentioning names of golf courses, it was remarkably wide open over the weekend. I I guess it's because of Easter. I guess people stayed with their families. Always a mistake. <laughs> stayed with their families rather than go out and play because the courses. We're wide open across the area, totally wide open, and lovely days to play. And you had a great matzo ball soup, right? Carol made matzo ball soup. I was very happy that she made it. Um, I had it. I liked it. Um, matzo balls float or sink? They they didn't take a side, sink Dad. enough. <laughs> they sank. They didn't sink enough. I like matzo balls with the consistency of golf balls. I like them to be hard. I like them when you have to take a knife to open them. <laughs> Everybody else on my side of the street likes them light and airy, and I don't. I don't. So they were not quite, they were not airy, but they were not quite as dense. That's the right word, right? Yeah. Dense. Not as dense as I had hoped for. But the carrots were good. And put some carrots in there late, the last 20 minutes or something like that, so you can chew on the carrots. We have enough chicken in this house now to open up a Bojangles franchise. <laughs> oh, so we got that. 
we got which is which go is for nice. a boat biscuit. Um, yeah, we'll mm. we'll take a break, and Michael Wilbon will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is Leslie Mendelson. Her music is sent to us by Michael Granberry from the Dallas Morning News, who writes, First of all, thank you so much for your recent kind words about me and Leslie Mendelson and our good friend Eric Nadell, who is by now immersed in the 2022 edition of the Texas Rangers. Consider this a connective tissue update. When you sent you a human touch in Coney Island, you noted correctly that the former was co-written by Leslie Jackson Brown and Steve McEwen and sung as a powerful duet by Leslie and Jackson. In the latter, Coney Island was co-written, as so many of Leslie's songs are, by Leslie and songwriter Steve McEwen. Well, guess what? At the most recent Grammy Awards, McEwen not, won not one, but two Grammys. McEwen and Leslie have been longtime collaborators, and as Leslie mentions in the email below, you have a permission to play any songs off any of her albums. One that I submitted in the original batch that I would love to hear you play is another song by Leslie and McEwen that they wrote together, entitled If I Don't Stop Loving You. It's a heartbreak ballad, but it's one of the best heartbreak ballads I've ever heard. And as usual, Leslie's vocals, they had their own special touch. We are playing that now, If I Don't Stop Loving You. Her talent is... It's amazing. It's, it's, it's evident. Right? Her talent <laughs> is it's just evident. Love playing her songs. Normally, she would play in, at this period of time, Michael Wilbon. Wilbon is in Arizona, and we can't reach him. He's probably asleep. It's early. It's a three-hour time difference, which makes it 8.15 in the morning. Here, 5.15 in the morning in Arizona. And he stayed up two days in a row to watch all the NBA games. And he watched them all and then commented on all of them. And it's our turn to talk about them. I didn't watch them all. I watched a little bit of six of them. The two late games, the ones with Phoenix was last night, and what was the late game the night before? We should know this. I should know this. Because it's West Coast teams. Oh, Golden State. Golden State. I didn't watch either of those. Those were 9.30 Eastern starts, and I didn't watch them. But I watched a little of everything else. And I'm not Mike, so I'm not going to get so excited. I'll tell you this. Some of the games weren't very good. But one of the things that's true about the NBA is that most teams take a run at you at some point. Milwaukee is a significantly better team than Chicago. Chicago took a run at Milwaukee. Yeah. And was ahead at one point in the third quarter, I believe. And in the fourth quarter, Milwaukee shut it down. My feeling was the most significant game that was played of the eight games. And I shouldn't say of the eight because I only saw parts of six. Excuse me. The most significant game I saw. And Nigel, I know you think I'm going to say Boston. But no. Philadelphia-Toronto. Philadelphia killed Toronto. Yeah, they did. Philadelphia killed Toronto. They did. I mean, I'm sitting with Wilbon on television, and Wilbon says Toronto can win that series. Toronto beat him three out of four times this year. And I acknowledge that. 
But Philadelphia is Philadelphia should win that series in four or five. Philadelphia is that much better. Philadelphia's got the two best players on the floor, and that's not counting Tyrese Maxey. That's just Harden and Embiid. They're the best players on the floor. So at the moment, as I sit here in my dining room at Uncle Benny's table, I don't want to hear about Toronto. Now, Nick Nurse is a really good coach because that team doesn't belong, you know, fifth in the East. He's a really good coach. It just seemed to me that if you took anything away from the weekend, what you took away is if Philadelphia is better than Toronto. I don't know about any of the other things. It, you know, the, the number one seeds won handily. They should. They beat teams that had to survive the play-in. Minnesota upset Memphis. Did that surprise you? It surprised me a little bit, but I root for Minnesota because Nathan Bubis is an assistant coach <laughs> on Minnesota. And if you watch that game, you could see him yeah. in the second row on the bench in his blue Minnesota sweatshirt. It's phenomenal. Whatever it was, his quarter zip, what they all wear. <laughs> this made me very, very happy. Do I think they'll beat Memphis in seven? No, I don't. Because John Morant, he's an amazing player. But they've got two number one picks, Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards. And at one point, D'Angelo Russell was a pretty good player. So if Minnesota wins that series, I'm not shocked. There are certain series. I'm, if Toronto comes back and beats Philadelphia, be I'm going to say that's shocking. Now I'll get to the thing you like the most. The best game of the weekend. Yes. The best game of the weekend. It shouldn't have been because Boston let Brooklyn back in the game. Boston was up by double digits in the fourth quarter yeah. and let Brooklyn back in. And the reason they let them back in is because the two best players on that court <laughs> Are wearing Brooklyn uniforms. Yeah. Every moment that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are on the floor, they're the best two players. And I hate Kyrie Irving. <laughs> He's a terrible teammate. And you're going to ask, well, what about flipping off the crowd? Well, the crowd makes – he made life miserable for Celtics fans by telling them he was going to come back and then walking out on them. Yeah. And they make life miserable for him. That's fair. That's, it's fair both ways. Whatever yes. he does, whatever hand gestures he makes, I don't. That's okay with me. Yes, I'm pretty sure Boston Bostonians are fine with it too. But this guy is a great, great player. <laughs> He's the best. I will quote Gary Williams from yesterday. Do you remember when Gary said this? He's the best ball handler and penetrator he's ever seen. <laughs> he hit some shots yesterday, hanging in the air, falling down. It, it, he's a Kyrie Irving is a great player, and he's not even as good as Kevin Durant. <laughs> Kevin Durant's the best player in the world. So when you tell me that, you know, Brooklyn takes it to the wire, of course they do. They have the best players. On the last play of the game, the previous to the last play of the game, Boston hounded Irving. They made Irving give up the ball, and Kevin Durant had no real shot. Yeah. Banged one off the rim from three. Yeah. And so Boston gets the ball back with how much time? You're a Celtics fan. I, I think it was like maybe 14 seconds, eight seconds, something like that. And they work it around, and they work it around, and they work it around, and it ends up 22 feet away on the left-hand side high. And suddenly on the right-hand side, Jason Tatum cuts for the basket, and who gave him the pass? Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart gives him the pass. Gave a fake, and everyone flew by him, and he started to go to the basket, and then just dished it to uh, Tatum. And yeah. Tatum makes a bank-in layup as the clock goes to .01, yeah. and then .00, and Celtics win. And it's a great win. Well, yeah. Does it mean they win the series? No. 
No. No, because the other because team has those the guys. two best players. I will say, and by the way, doing all that without Ben Simmons, you wonder how the Nets are worth. I'm obviously joking because ben, ben Simmons, Simmons hasn't played. is worthless at right. the moment. But for the Celtics, they do this without their best defender, Robert Williams. That's right, the center. Yes. yes. Um, and you can see, you can see how the other people they put in the middle are slower to the ball. Yeah. And how the Nets can score. Yeah. Um, th- this is. This shapes up and did before they even played the first game. I'm, I did say this on PTI the other night. If you ask me if I only want to see one of them, and I only want to see one of them, which one do I want to see? I want to see Boston and Brooklyn. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's it's, the one. appears as, as if this will go seven. Well, you, you can't say that after one. You just don't know. You just, I, I don't ever <clears throat> predict that things are going to go seven. What it appears like is they are wonderful and spirited teams that are capable of giving you great games. And I don't say that about the other series. That's I mean, I just don't. Yeah. You know, but I know you're happy. Well, yeah. I mean, you, if you lose that game, you know, like, oh, now, now we're really down in a hole because you just, again, you look across the, the sideline, the side you see Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, and you know they can take over games pretty much at any point they want to. Now, Boston, and what I just said about Toronto, that the best two players in that series are in Philadelphia uniforms. Toronto is a very good team, but Toronto does not have the talent that Brooklyn has. Is Boston a better team than Philadelphia? Maybe, maybe not. About even. About even, although Boston closed so well. They closed 26-6. and six. Yeah, they really came together. But that game yesterday, I think, should give you fear. <laughs> I think does. it should give you fear well, because they go of like what a, Brooklyn did at the end. Yeah, get like a 15-2 run, and it's like every time, it's like, oh, another three by Kyrie. Another three. And again, he's the villain. You hate him. So maybe that's why I'm so happy we they won. Because you hate him, but if he stayed in Boston, you would put him in the him. Hall of Fame. Love because him. Because he's that good a player. <laughs> yes, and he is he that, is good, that of player. good a player. He's a brilliant player. So, yeah. I, I, I don't... I mean, I hate him because if you're going to play a team sport, you have to sacrifice for your teammates. He's not a good teammate. You have to get the shot, I think. I mean, I just think you have to. But, boy, when he gets out there. It's amazing. You can't. And as you said, he's not even the best player on that team. No. (laughs) It's Kevin Durant. They have two of the five best players in basketball. Yeah. There's... Well, I, maybe you could say that about Philadelphia. Maybe Embiid will win the MVP. And maybe and Harden has been one of the five best players in basketball for a number of years, but doesn't look that good now. Yeah, he's getting up. Harden's got that one great move where he takes his right arm. You're guarding him. He takes his right arm and hits you as hard as he can in the chest and goes by you with his left hand, and you wince. <laughs> and nobody ever calls that foul. <laughs> nobody ever calls that foul. So anyway, so we don't have... Mike today, undoubtedly Mike will say, okay, I'll do it on Wednesday, and then we'll review all of these things. Um, But now we will take a break, uh, and when we come back, we will play all the lovely things that we have accumulated over the years from Wendy Rieger. I am Tony Kornheiser. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, Determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. 
Learn more at marines.com. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, we have Leslie Mendelson, and we thank her and we thank Michael Granberry from the Dallas Morning News for sending her stuff to us all the time. Leslie gives us permission to use it. This is a song called Good Night. Um, so many of the people that we play are really, really, really talented, and they're just one break away from making a lot of money. She's made a lot of money, I think, and she's really, really talented. Yes. I know, and I'm often awed by the people who send us stuff, and I'm certainly awed by Leslie Mendelson. Michael, if people want to send in their original music or have their friends from the Dallas Morning News <laughs> do it, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. Again, this song is called Good Night. You can listen to Leslie's songs at the end of the podcast, or you can just listen to them now. I said at the beginning of the show that I was not going to attempt to eulogize Wendy Rieger, and I am not. Um, we have put together, I haven't, Nigel has put together, with the aid of Bill Leheka, um, some of the clips from some of the shows that Wendy did with us, and there's no point in me stepping on her lines. Here's Wendy Rieger. What's the weirdest thing that ever happened to you while you were driving a car? While I was driving a car or while I was riding in a car? Well, it, it depends on how weird it well, is. Well, one time I was riding in a car, and the guy I was, was with had pissed me off so much that I started trying to kick out his windshield. Really? Yeah. God, there is her. nothing. Can I tell you love something? Her. In heels. There is <laughs> like, nothing. It was going like 50? It was, it was the greatest. Just the look on his face. If that's, if you want power, baby, start kicking someone's windshield out. It was the this is, this is pre-YouTube, isn't it? This is pre- Oh, my God. I mean, you wouldn't want that now. You wouldn't, no, and, I, would... and all I managed to do was just crack it a little bit, because, wow. I mean, those things are, but it yeah. was, and all I could hear was, honey, honey, no, honey, <laughs> honey, Wendy, honey, <laughs> The thing about Wendy's story is that I was the guy driving that car. Um, no, uh, I never thought I'd see you again. It is awkward. No, it was awkward when I when Tony in. was like, "Do you know Wendy?" I was like, "Well, oh boy, do I know." It's been a Wendy. while. <laughs> Ever since that judge. Um, I wanted to get Wendy involved in the show, so I wrote down your thoughts on the academic scandal, your thoughts on the kid from Harvard. But then I wrote down your favorite appetizer, and do you like soup? And those seem to me to be much better questions. Like, if, what is your favorite appetizer? When you go to a restaurant, what is your favorite appetizer? Um, because I'm on keto these days. You're doing that? Oh, really? Is anyone not doing it? Oh, I don't know. Come on, get on board, Jones. <laughs> right. Um, How, what, what is the result so far? Uh, it's, it's nothing, because I keep drinking. Oh, okay. You know? <laughs> I, I discovered <laughs> bourbon about two years ago, and, and so if I'm not going to eat, I'm drinking. Right. I really like and don't judge me. Well, you're going to judge me. Yeah, That's never, what you never, do. Yeah. Never. Fried Brussels sprouts. Really? Fried Brussels sprouts. Well, those are pretty new. I like Brussels I mean, those sprouts. are within the last X amount of years. Especially like, over here at Leah's. Leah's makes 
killer really? fried okay. So Leah's is one of the Chef Jeff joints. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. That's right. right. What about do you like soup? No, I like soup. I don't like soup. I'm a big soup person. I'm so good to that's so good to yeah, know. I, like, well, I know what to get you for Hanukkah now. So soup. I'm gonna get you some matzo ball soup. Yeah. Well you get me for that and you can get me that for Christmas too, because it's you. I really like it. Although it's I non denominational these days. I had a right. bad soup yesterday. Somebody came in bad with soup. bad soup. Cilantro soup. I tasted it. It was bitter. I gave it to Bonnie, and Bonnie said she liked it. It well, was filled with cilantro, and I said, then, then take it. Yeah, Did it taste well, like cilantro soap. is one of those things where you either like, like it. it or you don't. I didn't like no. that. I didn't like that. Can we review the thing that we did 25 years ago? Yes, Can you please, ex please explain For to people sure. what it we was, did? It uh, was Meatloaf's Paradise and the Dashboard Lights, and uh, the three of us did a dramatic reading of it. Right. It was like sure. Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. Right. It was like the Royal Academy. David did the Phil Rizzuto part. That is correct. I did the Meatloaf part, and you did the... What was what was I her was name? The, I was the, the who girl. knows? You never remember. Yeah, the girl. You but know. it was you were, um, you were. I grabbed you. You were yes. You were great. If you had a windshield, <laughs> I would have kicked it out. <laughs> it was really, it was really exciting. I thought it was really good. I thought we gave them much more than we should have. That they weren't deserving. But then I found out you you had a dinner theater background. So you were actually yeah. a good actress. Yeah. Were, well, dinner theater, it tests you, doesn't it? It is, it is the road to the great white way, isn't it? Well, yeah. You know, you know, Brian Cranston came out of dinner theater, I think. Is that right? There is that great movie, Soap Dish. <laughs> oh, yes. Which, <gasps> that the That's best. Which is with Klein. Sally Field okay. yeah, and, Kevin, oh my, it's the best. And it's dinner theater. He's doing and, it. And and that's, written, a salesman. that's written by Andy Bergman, who I went to college the with. The best. He's yeah. clearing yeah. tables and they're like, yeah. you did such a nice job. It's Kevin Klein doing Death of a Salesman yeah, I mean, in Florida. In Florida. <laughs> yeah. Dinner theater. So that's that's been a With movie people that... going, I can't hear him. <laughs> it's a disappeared movie. You can still find no, no, it. You, you should oh, go get oh, Soap Dish. Yeah. Soap Dish is really oh, funny. Yeah. That's, that's the same. That he's, Andy Bergman is the same. Andy Bergman wrote, wrote the original <clears throat> script for Blazing Saddles. Mm -hmm. oh, That's yeah. how he broke in. I remember seeing Soap Dish in the theater and laughing out loud. <laughs> it's it's funny. Brilliant. Yeah. And Robert Downey Jr. Yes. is in it yes. and is oh, fabulous. Yeah. So you just told me, you're, I thought you were living downtown. You're not living downtown. I was in at City Center for, I was one of the first people to move and to City said, Center. And you told me you loved it. I did love it, but I, I, you know, actually it was interesting because in the five years I was there, it really became this crowded, noisy mm. place. And there was a lot of building going on and I've owned real estate before and I thought, you know what, there's gonna be a lot of competition and let me get my money out of it now and move on. Plus, I was uh, uh, gonna build, I was about to buy land out in Rappahannock County to build a house. And, and is that ongoing? Yeah, it's going to be delivering this fall. Yeah, I'm building a house. Uh, but you can't live there full time. Why? Because I mean, you, would you leave TV? You, because Channel 4 is not in Rappahannock County, is it? Well, Chopper 4 can land oh, my... I have, I have 30 <laughs> acres out there, so I'm, gonna have, I'm making a deal with uh, Brad Friedis to, to come get... <laughs> well, no, Billy right Joel now. does that. <laughs> Billy Joel's deal, he lives on Long Island, and when he plays... Uh, the, the garden, right. whatever that... Madison Square Garden. Yeah, but is he in a separate room? Is he in the smaller room or the big no, room? No, I think he's whatever. in the big house. They, they, they send the helicopter sure. for him. Sure. Well, they're going to send deal. one for me when I play the garden as well. Okay, that's, in my, that's in my contract. <laughs> right. So uh, I don't know. I'm just kind of... I wanted to... I've always... I didn't always want to, but I recently thought it's the one thing I haven't done yet is design and build a house. So let's mm. see what that... You don't strike me as a is. farm girl, as a country girl. I'm... 
it's Rappahannock County is is sort of like Portland, Oregon out there. It's this really mm-hmm. cool. It's where Little Washington is. Oh, okay. I've been uh, there. Sperryville, where three blacksmiths is is sort of the the cool counterpoint to the Little Washington and Sperryville. It's uh, it's a really that's cool, more than an hour though, isn't it? It's drive? just about. It's like an hour and ten minutes. Right. Which I was I commuted in from Annapolis for 20 years and mm. that's an hour so you know I don't being in a car doesn't scare me especially because I I come in at odd hours so it's, it'd be different if I was in rush hour have you had any bad dates lately you want to talk about <laughs> you know if you don't have a, a god yes I, oh my god <laughs> I was gonna say if you don't have a Pinterest board I don't you know I'm building a house so. I had such a god awful date <laughs> on a beautiful spring day, and I just come back from shooting a story with a waterman, so I'd been on the Chesapeake Bay all day, and I came back and met this guy on Capitol Hill who I'd gone out with a couple of times, and oh my God, I just asked him to, I mean, I, I just said, <laughs> I, I'm getting the check. I, I, well, there, I got the check, <laughs> and I said, uh, I'm done. I'm done, <laughs> and I'm getting an Uber, and I stood there, and he kept kind of pestering me on the sidewalk while I was waiting for Uber. It was just awful. It was just awful. And this is a guy who, when I first kind of, you know, went to kiss him, whatever, he asked me to rub his stomach. Oh! His belly. No! <laughs> what, like a, like dog? a dog? Yeah. I don't know. I didn't do I it. Do I do that to my dog. I don't know. I was sort of, I said, yeah, no. Uh, and, <laughs> and no. Uh, oh. And also, ooh, and ick, and... Bye. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so it was that. Hey, is that bad enough? You guys out there are eating breakfast. There you go. Okay. So this is the other. Keep story. trying to keep those eggs down. The other story is oh, this. Oh Lord, that's what I thought. If, if if you're not on a Pinterest board and you're not a, a pharaoh in ball paint color, I I don't care about you. Okay. I just don't. So a, a, a few weeks ago, my landscaper Finn. Yes. You were, where were you? Where, you I were was a pizza at, joint? Uh, at uh, the, a pizza paradiso in Spring Valley that just opened up. Right, and some, and he comes up to you. And, and I thought, oh, here's a cute guy. He is cute. Oh, my God, he here's cute. a cute guy coming up to me. <clears throat> and he hands me a phone. He says, I, I have a phone call for you. And I thought, oh, God, <laughs> now what? And it was, and then as soon as I looked at the phone, it said Tony Cornell. And that was me. wonderful. He said, Riegers in this pizza joint. I said, Caught, you know, put her on. That was fun. Well, I hope you get better dates. Right now, I'm just, I don't care anymore. Again, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're not a, a carpenter or a tile guy, I don't care. <laughs> right now, it's just, it's all about this house. I took a break from the house to go out with Belly Guy, Belly Rub, <laughs> right. and, and I regretted it, and that's it. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Ooh. Unless you have a chopper. Now, if you have a chopper, <laughs> uh, you know, you I might talk. rub your belly if you had a chopper. <laughs> <laughs> Any progress on your house? It's I. It, I've been in it since Thanksgiving. So you live there? Now. Uh, I don't live there. I go there every weekend. And yeah. how? And it's e- fabulous. Everything mm-hmm. worked out. Everything worked out really well. Yeah, yeah. That's it's actually awesome. wonderful. You have to come out. <laughs> any, it's wonderful. Any dating disasters? I no. I have a boyfriend. You do? <laughs> wow, we're so happy for you. <laughs> that's fantastic. Wow, that's great. <laughs> That's great. You're like my if my mother was alive, you'd be my mother. Uh, yeah, I have a, I have a boyfriend, which is uh, he did we'll not see. ghost you. He didn't ghost me. No. And, uh, did he ask you to rub his belly? No, no. He, I love this guy. He comes out every weekend and he chops wood, uh, draws me a bath, and then uh, makes waffles in the morning. He, oh Jesus! Well, that's tremendous. He sounds like a butler. <laughs> I mean, he sounds like his a name boyfriend. Jeeves. 
Yeah. <laughs> sort of like a I, But I don't pay him that much. Jeeves Johnson? <laughs> well, that's just... Well, that's wonderful. The only thing is I, I worry that, I, you know, because when you've been dating in this town for as long as I have, you become feral. And I just don't want, you know, to... To like find I've in the wake up in the morning and find I've lip, ripped him to shreds during the night or something. You know, I just I don't want to. I'm trying to contain feral Wendy yeah. so so that he doesn't uh, see the wild the the bad wild side. So are me. you are you sort of like a country squire at this point? You know, I mean that you're out there and you're happy out there and everything works out there. Country, you, country squires it's <laughs> very like 18th century yeah. Uh, yeah it's actually really it's really cool it's, it's a nice uh, decompression to go out there this is from Rieger now do I need to leave the room <laughs> I can't read it I can only read some of it um, because it's filthy and it's suggestive it's wonderful should, I love it should I read the text she sent me Yes, go ahead. And I love Wendy. Yeah. Uh, Wendy's the greatest guest we've ever had on this show. Absolutely. Most dangerous woman in, in, the in world. D.C. Yes. In the, in the world. world. Kicking Actually. out windshields. <laughs> she said, uh, she was looking for her email. She said, had a capitalized fabulous dream about King Kornheiser that I must share with you. Turquoise short shorts are forever chained for me. Wendy. Okay. <laughs> now, everybody knows that Wendy has retired. Wendy has gotten married. Wendy has publicly uh, in a battle with cancer, she has made that very public. So I'm not saying anything that, you know, that everybody doesn't know. And everybody knows I love Wendy Rieger. Yes. I've always loved Wendy Rieger. She writes, you have wandered about in my imagination in the many months since COVID sent you underground. I fear you are now transmitting from your basement on a potato radio like the ones you boys made in seventh grade shop class. <laughs> Even the red lipstick that transformed my mouth into a Kornheiser trademark has been reduced to a sad smear inside a mask. If I hold it to my ear, it whispers, he'll be back. Just... And at 4 a.m. yesterday morning, you came back in a dream. I was in a restaurant. I was there with several longtime male friends and a few guys I used to date, including Belly Rub. Do you remember that guy she talked about? <laughs> <Yes>. <clears throat> this time he didn't ask. As we were arranging ourselves around the table, you walked in wearing turquoise super, super short shorts and a red T-shirt. <laughs> Unbelievable. You announced you were going to the pool but wanted to see me first. I was so stunned. I still can't feel some parts of my body. I walked you to the table, sat down, and insisted you sit in my lap. There was a great deal of hubbub as we struggled to arrange your long and very hairy legs across the arm of the dining room chair. I remember being thankful you had not gone swimming yet, as I did not want your behind leaving a big wet spot in my lap. Once you got settled, I affectionately put my arms around you and rubbed your back as I gently rocked you in the chair, softly asking if you felt safe now. You leaned your head against mine, and in that classic Kornheiser tone that reveals a rising annoyance, you said emphatically, you know, the CDC says spooning is dangerous. <laughs> what? <clears throat> I should have tossed you aside and gone over and rubbed Belly Guy's ample stomach. Maybe a genie would have come out of his behind. Instead, I rocked you vigorously and put my red lips to your ear, and I whispered something I can't say about the CDC. <laughs> At that point, I felt someone's smooth legs rub against mine and it startled me awake. They were my husband's. That's so fabulous. It's so Show, don't fabulous. tell. It's so fabulous. And the next two paragraphs are impossible to read. <laughs> it's impossible. It's signed Big Smooch's Wendy. So it's just great. My thanks to Nigel and to Bill LaHecka for going through the archives and uh, pulling all the stuff for Wendy's appearance. I don't want to say too much because I'll start to cry. Um, I, I never spent a moment with Wendy that I wasn't completely amused and happy. She was the most alive person I think I've ever known, and, and we miss her like crazy already. 
Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. instruments is Ian Warrington, who also has a day job where he's an emergency room physician. (laughs) And he wrote us. He said, while listening to last Wednesday's podcast, I had a rather wonderful experience. Not only did I have my first David Aldridge moment, but I saw it coming 90 seconds in advance. Allow me to explain. As I was half listening to Tony's outrage at being shut out of a vaccine booster, I happened to glance at the title of the show. (laughs) Her name was Evelyn, just as the CVS employee offered to call other locations. At that moment, a cartoon light bulb appeared over my head, and I knew exactly how the next two minutes would unfold. They would send you to the Tenley Town Target. You would somehow figure out the parking. Evelyn would be the pharmacist, and the story would have a happy ending. To be fair, I didn't predict that she would fill out your paperwork for you, but it didn't surprise me. And how do I know this? Well, for the past few years, my wife and I have been going exclusively to the CVS Pharmacy in the Tenley Town Target for whatever prescriptions, flu shots, or COVID boosters we need. Not for the picturesque setting in the big box store or for the weird location across the street from a slight more convenient CVS, but because Evelyn works there. Evelyn is the best. She cheers us up every time one of us goes there. She's unfailingly pleasant. She goes out of her way to help if things get mixed up. She recognizes us with masks on. She knows our name. She even remembers our cat's name when we pick up his medication, and she asks how he's doing. I may be the only person listening who made this connection, but it made my day for Evelyn to get a random but sincere shout-out on a podcast. I shared the beginning of your tale with my wife, and she had a great reaction, and Initially, puzzlement and irritation at why I would share such a pointless story, followed by a big smile when I shared the title of the episode. She knew the ending right away, which is just lovely. Isn't that great? Just lovely. Um, From Sean Crawford in Queenstown, Maryland. I could not agree more with your view on sea salt. I love caramel, and the Candy Kitchen in Rehoboth sells both light and dark chocolate-covered caramels. They are delicious, or at least were delicious. They've been ruined by, you guessed it, sea salt. (laughs) The Candy Kitchen puts four to six (laughs) granules of sea salt on each caramel. No matter how quickly or slowly I eat the caramel, one of the sugar cube-sized blocks of sea salt gets lodged in my throat and annoys me for an extended period of time (laughs) after eating it. Water, soda, beer, juice, nothing gets rid of it but time. It's like a little two-hour reminder of how much I hate sea salt. But from Kenny Ray, what? Should we do the? Should we thank the bagel people? Oh, yeah. Go ahead. I forgot. <laughs> Bethesda bagels. Uh, we love them. You would as well. Got the bagel sandwiches today. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. I also want to say thank you to Neil in Rockville, who was a big help to me this past weekend as I tracked down audio. Okay. You know. Let the rest of it lie? Yeah, we got the Meat Love song, but we'll do that some other time, because that's the first time that Wendy and I and David Aldridge got together and 
and did the meatloaf song, I think, at the New Zealand Embassy. Yes, I think that's 4, right. 4,000 years ago. Yes. Now, we'll let it go. From Kenny Ray in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, your recent discussion of sea, hall, sea salt has reminded me of some cooking advice I've been given by a longtime friend who, after a brief career as a missile officer in the United States Air Force, ready and willing to turn keys and launch thermonuclear weapons at Russia, went back to culinary school and trained as a professional chef. I'm not sure you can get much farther apart in your life's calling, <laughs> complete and utter destruction of the world as we know it, versus creative, life-sustaining cooking. He worked for Emeril Lagasse in uh, New Orleans for a number of years before going on to run kitchens and some of the fine dining establishments in Sarasota and Destin, Florida. He always tells me, why do you salt both sides of your steak? Because you eat both sides of your steak. <laughs> Information from Bam, that's a good point. From Thad Hunt in Leavenworth, Washington. Today I was at a restaurant that had a margarita on the menu with lava salt. Looks like the volcanologists are now in on the scam. I'll say that it was pretty, pretty good. Uh, Shad has a haiku um, about, what is this for? The streaming baseball crime spree? It's different and new. Tony doesn't do different and new. What is that? Oh, it's for the Apple, the games Friday on night? Yeah, Friday night oh, games on okay. Apple. okay. Yeah. Yes. Still don't know how to watch Scherzer. <clears throat> Didn't like that. Um... I've been a New York Times reader for a very long time. I have a routine starting with the obits and moving on. As a kid, when I took the Long Island Railroad with my father, BG, he always started with the obits. What's going on with the Times sports section? No more standings and stats. Come on, man. What's a sports section without standings? Regards, DG. I haven't heard from him in a while. Great to hear from him. Um, from Seth Krieger. Saw this on a post next door. Gave him your address. Sure you don't mind. Appreciate it. DG. It's not DG. Hey there, neighbors. I have a quick question for everyone. A friend of mine is passing through the Falls Church area with her family for one night. They have a 30-foot camper. Can anyone recommend a good place for them to park overnight <laughs> while they're here? That's from Falls Church. I don't actually understand the connect. It's not DG, is it? I mean, DG didn't actually send that, did he? No, I'm guessing he didn't. Somebody probably, right. yeah, somebody probably trying to have some fun. <clears throat> okay, this is a pest control story. As a certified pest control technician... I'll be in a different, albeit in a different jurisdiction, Canada. I can assure you that the story about the $1,200 wasp nest is in fact severe gouging. I once had a customer tell me the price that a competitor charged our dad for carpenter and ant treatment and my jaw dropped and said for that price I would treat your whole block. Unfortunately, this sort of thing is common in not only the pest control industry, but many other home service industries. I see it all the time. You really have to do your homework or you're setting yourself up for failure. As a point of reference, that is about 10 times what I would charge to treat a wasp nest, regardless of time frame, after hours, etc. To make it worse, that's $1,200 American or about $8,500 Canadian, so my $120 service charge would probably cost as much as a tub of 4% cottage cheese and American funds. Love the show. Long-time listener. Please tell Orkin to eat it. It's not signed, but it's from the Cowichan Valley Pest Control, and that's in Canada, obviously. From Tim Wildsmith, who sings for us and writes yes. for us. Very talented. In Nashville. Last Tuesday, I received the second greatest phone call of my life when a friend offered me two tickets to Wednesday's practice round and par three contest at the Masters. I then placed the greatest phone call of my life to my dad. He has dreamed of going to the Masters since he was a kid, and it was finally his time. Michael was right. This is what happened with Finn and his son. This is what happened. Michael was right when he said that everyone on the grounds was so happy. I told my dad it reminded me of Disney World. We went straight to Amen Corner, and would you believe the very first golfer we saw that day was Tiger Woods. We watched him play 12 with Freddie and JT, and it was unreal. From the pristine fairways to the pimento cheese sandwiches to watching the best golfers in the world play with their kids on the par three course, it was truly an incredible day. I'm so thankful I got to share it with my dad. The only thing I didn't do was get to yell la cheesery at Sansy. <laughs> From Lane Fortenberry in San Marcos, Texas, a pretentious person in a Subaru cut me off at a grocery store today. That's it. 
That's the email. <laughs> that's all you need to know. Yeah, it's really all the information you need. From John Pearson in Milwaukee. Normally, I listen story. to your show the second it comes out <laughs> at 8 a.m. here in Central Time Zone. And marvel at how an hour of conversation about things I don't care about holds me in place. Last week, we were on a family trip west, so I actually got you at 6 a.m. Arizona time. Yes, the content is just as oddly angry, but the earlier hours seemed to add a level of crotchetiness that made the anger regarding sea salt and other nonsense added to the entertainment. The unwarranted surliness is more delicious at 6 a.m., almost as if seasoned with sea salt, so I am pitching to my wife and family to move to Flagstaff, Arizona, so I can enjoy the show more. So far, his response has been, wait, you mean that guy who yells about trailers being parked in his neighborhood? No, we are not doing that. Of of course, the fact that uprooting my family to enjoy the show may mean I need to start some new kind of hobby. If you go from Milwaukee to Arizona, that's good. Uh, Leslie Thomas in Hillsboro, North Carolina. I wonder if John Wall and Bobby Bonilla have the same agent. <laughs> Bobby Bonilla is still getting paid by the match. Still getting paid. Still getting paid. Bobby Bonilla Day. From Tom, TJ Dunn in Reedsville, North Carolina. I don't have to go to chemistry class on Friday. I think I'll go play some golf. Just thought you should know. I admire that. I admire that. <laughs> it's a good choice. And one more from Joe Anderson in Alexandria, Virginia. Says, is Paul Simon writing Washington Post headlines now because there is a headline in a story that says, in Kiev stands an ex-boxer and a mayor by his trade. And that's one of the Klitschko brothers who was the world champion. That's right. right. One of the Klitschko brothers. Uh, if you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. When I first kind of, you know, went to kiss him, whatever, he asked me to rub his stomach. Oh! His belly. No! <laughs> what, like a, like dog? a dog? Yeah. I don't know. I didn't oh. do it. I do that I to my dog. I don't know. I was sort. I said, yeah, no. I 
Good night.